How do you design for a minimum viable product? That's the topic on today's episode of Five Minutes with Five Pack. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Five Minutes with Five Pack, your source for concise industry expertise in the world of technology and software development. Today, I have Carrie Esmond, one of our senior UX UI designers, joining me today. Carrie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. So glad to have some design expertise. Things are going to go a little more UX UI today, uh, and specifically discussing really what it is to design for a 1.0 solution. But before we jump into that, get the cart ahead of the horse, let's get to know Carrie a little bit. First five questions to get to know you. Carrie, we're going to take, again, more of a design perspective on these. Let's start out with a big one in the design community, Figma or XD? Mm. So... I was a, a longtime fan of XD and um, somewhat recently uh, a, a Figma convert and yeah. <laughs> um, probably probably no looking back for me at this point. So I'll have to go Figma. Yeah, it's funny working with you over the last two plus years. I watched that evolution of XD to Figma and uh, I will tell you, most of our team here at Five Pack is uh, now in the in the Figma fan club. So we love the product, of course, love Adobe as well. But Figma is making great gains, and I guess the benefit of Adobe is they also just bought the company, so it works out. It's all all the same at the end. That's true. Yeah, it works very well. <laughs> yeah. So Carrie, talk to me through uh, thinking of mobile apps. What's a mobile app from your perspective as a designer that has a UX that you just love? Yeah, so um, I would say, I, I've not used it in a while. I just don't have a, a, a huge need for it in my area. But the times that I have used it, Uber has provided a fantastic experience. Yes. Um, just the the mobile app experience, and not, not, even, not even how it works, but the way it looks, it's so minimal and clean. Um, but uh, the, like I said, the last time that I used it, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, I was traveling and uh, and obviously needed a ride. Um, hailed a hailed an Uber driver. It, I just watched them pull right up uh, right there on the phone. A payment was seamless. Uh, just everything about it was a fantastic user experience, and and not even from a a software perspective, but just from a, um, a, a an experience, a physical experience of getting in somebody else's car um, and uh, and getting a ride to somewhere where I needed to go. It was just great all around. Yeah, I wouldn't have thought of that app to start with, but now that you say it, couldn't agree more. I'm the same way. Really don't use Uber too frequently in a day-to-day -day basis. And for those of you wondering why Carrie doesn't, uh, Carrie, would you like to inform our listeners where you live? Uh, yeah, in the middle of a uh, field. Yeah. <laughs> you may uh, hail a, a horse quicker than you would hail an Uber. Possible, yeah. Yeah, but I'm the same way, really. I still don't use Uber very often. And when you think about it from a you know a UX perspective, there are a few things maybe more concerning or uncomfortable than literally getting into the car of a stranger. Everything that our parents told us not to do as children, right? right. And how Ubers use technology to make that such a comfortable, expected experience, letting you know, you know, exactly the distance, where they're at on a map, the name, all of those safety features that have been integrated just to make what could be a disconcerting experience, one that's very predictable to a user is excellent. So couldn't agree more on that specific call out. Now, 
kind of to question three, then tell me from your perspective, what's a really great resource you'd recommend uh, regarding design? Yeah. So um, if I had to choose just one, um, aside from, you know, formal training and aside from working with very smart and talented people here at Five Pack, who yeah. I've learned a lot from, yeah. uh, the resource that I would pick would be Apple's human interface guidelines. So true. Um, what, what we call the HIG. Um, it's just a, a fantastic document. I reference it almost daily, uh, if not multiple times per day. It, it's, a, it's a living document. It's constantly um, you know, updating and changing, but it, it's also it's also very solid in that um, it will teach you how to design for uh, Apple's platforms. But um, what I really love about it is it, it, it also dives into the why that you should design in that way. Um, and really, I think that information transcends the platform and, and speaks to mobile uh, more holistically. Uh, fantastic document. I have it bookmarked and I recommend all designers do that. Yeah, it's excellent. And really, even beyond that, we would certainly say it's not just a resource that's great for designers. Anyone in software or product development really should be familiar with it because it will help you understand the philosophy behind some whys, to Carrie's point, in decision-making about what's in your product or the experience and why it should flow certain ways to gain from the learnings that Apple has documented and formalized in the HIG, really to help make sure that your application is conducting an end-to-end -end UX that is following all the recommendations that will make it optimized. So certainly a great resource, and it's in a lot of ways feels like the Bible to us here at Five Tech, especially from a UX UI perspective. Carrie, throw me back to the early days of your career. What was your first job in design? Um, so... Right out of college, I, I did a little bit of freelance work, okay. um, but uh, my first job um, was working for a company where I designed, um, so my background is in graphic design, uh, and so I worked for a company that designed uh, home decor and, um, and th products that were sold by uh, major retailers, and uh, so it, it was it was neat. Um, we gained a lot of uh, pr production experience, understanding how to get something from a screen to production, yeah, and um, understanding markets and demographics and and that that sort of thing. Uh, but it was also neat to be able to walk into a store and and see a piece that you had designed on the shelf. Uh, so that was my very first job, and um, and then shortly after, I started uh, working in uh, in more kind of the digital software industry. That's amazing. And by a store, should we reference a store would actually be Hobby Lobby? <laughs> it, it was, yeah. So I had some things uh, in Hobby Lobby and, and a couple other large names. Yeah. That's amazing. I couldn't gloss over that. All right. Well, to wrap us up, Carrie, give me one piece of advice, just one line, if you will, to people that are just starting out in their UX UI career. Uh, let's see. So one line, I, I would say, uh, prepare yourself for and be happy with uh, compromise. And uh, that that I don't want that to sound negative because it, it really shouldn't be taken that way. Um, really, if you boil that down, uh, what that means is be prepared to work with a team and uh, receive various inputs that will inform the design that you're working on and inevitably make it better. That's excellent feedback and from working with you on various products across different devices. I've time and time again watched you 
master of that craft of pulling on the expertise of development to understand really what is the most feasible or uh, the path of least resistance sometimes in design to get the product to market, which we're going to talk about here in a moment, but also just masterful at working with clients and taking their feedback, hearing really what they're saying. And sometimes even when it's prescriptive, digging through that to understand why and really the true problem we're trying to solve that, you know, statement alone actually makes me want to pivot this question just a little bit. Could you also give me one piece of advice for clients that are working with UX UI designers for the first time? What would you say to those individuals? Yeah. So uh, for, for a client who's working with a designer, I I would say, prepare yourself for lots of questions. Yeah. (laughs) And and don't uh, don't be afraid to say, well, I'm I'm not entirely sure about that. Yeah. Uh, let let me find out. Yeah. Um, because uh, a design is only as as good as the data that that uh, produced it. Design has to be methodical, mm-hmm. and um, there has to be a reason for it. Yeah. And so, as uh, as clients who are experts in their industry and who are also um, familiar with their target demographic, the people that they're solving problems for, um, we, we take that expertise, that knowledge that they have, and, um, and then we turn it into something that their end user uh, can benefit from. That's excellent. So from my client's perspective, be ready to answer questions. And not only that, if you don't know the answer, help us uncover what that answer is so that we're developing a user experience more than that an interface that truly is solving the needs of your users and setting up your your application or your product really to scale. Carrie, that is excellent. Great introduction to you and transitions us right into today's five-minute topics, which is tips for designing your 1.0 solution. So in our industry, typically a 1.0, when it hits the market, most of the time we're looking for that to be a minimum viable product. Now we'll asterisk that there's certainly cases where that may not be needed or wanted uh, by the end client for a variety of reasons, but most are really looking to get the leanest version of their product into the market for the purpose of being able to not only test that idea, but then iterate rapidly upon it with user feedback. And also of course, as the ideas in market, that user feedback loop and the users of it are the revenue from that is helping to contribute to those changes and the evolution of the product. With all of that in mind, I I really do want to take this topic from a minimum viable product perspective. Carrie, talk to me about really what factors should be considered when you're designing for an MVP. Yeah. Um, so you could probably interchange factors with voices, at at least Mm -hmm. in my mind. Um, because there are a lot of voices that are going to contribute. Um, and as a designer, uh, your job is to to listen to all of those and prioritize those and take out what's important yeah. and have that influence the uh, the end product. So uh, some of those factors or, or voices, um, obviously, as a designer, uh, your job is to be an advocate for the end user. Uh, you're designing something that's going to be friendly and solve a problem for 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 those people it's a uh, it's a human centric uh, practice yeah um and so so that the voice of the the user or the, or the customer um should should always be in your head be either metaphorically or uh, literally by sitting down and and interviewing them talking with them understanding um how they view the problem how they approach it the pain points 
and uh, and then using that information to to formulate a hypothesis of well, I think if we do it this way, I think it would solve their problem. Mm -hmm. um, so so there's the voice of the customer or the user. Um, obviously, there's going to be your own voice pulling from uh, industry uh, expertise and experience. Um, there's also going to be training and there's going to be um, things like the HIG uh, mm -hmm. that are also, you know, speaking to you as well. And, uh, you know, just understanding best practices. So you have to understand how to provide uh, those solutions for users in the best way possible. Um, there are other factors, uh, like I had mentioned earlier, with the advice for uh, designers who are early in their career. Um, there's it's a team effort. So you're going to have developers um, who are who are speaking into what you're working on. Yeah. Um, you know, a developer may say this design looks great, uh, but we could save a whole lot of time if we just tweaked it just slightly. Yeah. And um, uh, so so that's another factor or a voice. Uh, you're also going to have a product owner. Uh, you're going to have a project manager who is um, who is you know tracking time and effort and budget and, and all of those things, um, and uh, and then you know the whole point of an MVP is to get something out there fast, yeah. learn about it, uh, measure, and um, and then and then iterate, continue to improve, and so um, the product itself really needs to speak to you as well in that um, you can't design it. So that once MVP phase is over, you have you have nowhere else to go. Yeah. You need to be able to build on top of it. So scalability is certainly a factor as well. That's so good. And I love that you frame it in terms of voices, because as we referenced in our last episode with Stacey Johnson, building software is a balancing act. Everything is not held equal and giving in one area can often require a compromise in another. Carrie, in terms of the Iron Triangle, which was the topic of our last episode, we discussed uh, really this paradigm of scope creep and how sometimes when you get into development, it's easy for scope to multiply and come out of its boundaries, which affects timeline and budget. Of course, when we're trying to bring that 1.0 solution, the minimum viable product to market, typically budget and timeline are fairly rigid because we have a timeline we're working against, even with marketing goals. And the budget is pretty well said of we have this you know amount to spend on this initial 1.0. So from your perspective, how would you recommend avoiding scope creeps specifically in design? Yeah, it can be tricky. Um, designers were creative by nature. I, I come myself come from a long line of creative problem solvers. And um, so we get excited when we think of an opportunity to, to make something or create something really cool. Yeah. Um, and so, so balancing that can be difficult, Sure, but, but not impossible. So uh, my recommendation is always to um, you know, continue, allow yourself to get excited about ideas. Uh, everybody on the team should be excited. Um, you know, the, the client with, with who we're building the product for is, is understandably and rightfully excited about their product. Um, we get excited with them and, mm -hmm. uh, and then, you know, together we build something, something amazing, but it's really easy to have some fantastic idea, uh, in, in a group call or a brainstorm or something like that. And, uh, and, and those are the kinds of things that cause scope to really start to snowball. Yeah. 
And so my go-to method, although I've, I've gotten better at it my, you know, personally myself over the years, uh, was always to uh, lean on a product owner or a project manager and say, you know, hey, we've had this really fantastic idea. Can we put it somewhere on the product roadmap? Yeah. And, um, you know, whether, the, and that might just be in a dark corner in the backlog, <laughs> sure. uh, but it, but it's still there, you know, and, and it makes you feel good and, and you can, um, you can be assured that it's not going to just fall completely off the radar and everybody forget about it. Cause if it is a truly fantastic idea, you want to explore that at some yes. point. Um, so, and, and then, you know, if there's, if there's free time, uh, you know, I take a walk or something in the middle of the day, sometimes that will, I'll allow myself to kind of explore that mentally and uh, kind of scratch that itch, so to speak. Um, but uh, really, I think the recommendation there would just be to make sure you write it down somewhere. It's 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 recorded somewhere. And um, and even, you know, if you have a product roadmap, put it on there somewhere, even if it's, you know, two years out, um, it helps to be able to kind of see that. And then it also helps with, um, I mentioned scalability earlier. If you really think that's a, a very viable feature that will make it into your product, um, it, it's on the radar, it's on that product roadmap. Uh, and, and then you can be thinking about um, decisions early on that yeah. might affect how you would incorporate that feature into a future version. Yeah, absolutely. That's such a great paradigm for balancing vision for the future and also acknowledging though where we are now and what's most important. When we're building apps, we're always looking on the return of the investment. And as much as there are some things we can do in design that are beautiful and aesthetically pleasing to the eye, a lot of times they may not actually deliver a lot more value than if we implemented something in a simpler manner. And so when we're recommending those things, or even in design, uh, keeping ourselves within the constraints of a minimum viable product, it's certainly not because we don't have vision for where the product can go, but it's really saying what's most important right now is getting functionality into the hands of our users, letting them experience it, and letting them help us curate what is that 1.1, 1.2, as opposed to really designing that in a vacuum. And at the same time, some of the practical ways we do that here at Five Pack are, you know, utilizing the system interface. Some of the things that we can, you know, grab from Apple and from Google in terms of buttons, standard components that we're not necessarily designing everything custom. We're trying to gain as much from the platform as we can, and then leverage that additional polish, if you will, the places where we are leaning into that really on the features that are delivering the most value for your users in the app, as opposed to something like a login screen or your settings interface, which we're all used to. They're not, you know, a huge part of the experience. They're kind of the bookends of the experience. We want to leverage some of that really where it matters most. So Carrie, as we're wrapping up, would you help sum this up in terms of a home building analogy? We often use construction to help wrap a familiar, you know, concept to really some of the decisions we have to make in software. So can you give us an analogy for all of this in terms of designing for your 1.0 that uh, may layer over into construction or building a house, if you will? Yeah, I mean, they're very similar. And we use that analogy uh, multiple times over the years to, uh, you know, kind of help people understand uh, what this process is like. And um, so, you know, I, I was just talking about that really fantastic idea that we had in a in a group session, and we put it in the backlog. 
the reason why you might not want to uh, commit to that idea right away, uh, especially before you get a product out to market, it, it, you know, just just the, the the MVP or even the the 1.0 version of that product, um, is because that feature may prove to be uh, time consuming and and also uh, perhaps even expensive. Um, and so the whole point of an MVP is to get that out there, get the idea validated. And then yeah. once you find out, uh, you know, hey, this this makes a lot of sense. I think now is the time to start incorporating some of those really cool ideas. Um, that That's that's kind of the whole point. And um, I, I liken it to uh, picking out uh, paint if you're going to paint a room, which uh, we're, we're doing uh, right now at, at, at my house. So it's top of mind. But um, it, it would be like uh, going to your local hardware store, buying a can of paint and uh, painting the entire room and then inviting all of your friends and family over only to find out that everybody hates it. And so now yeah. you've spent the time um, and, and that's worst case scenario, obviously. Sure. Uh, but uh, now you've spent the time painting the room. You've spent the money buying the paint and the brushes and the trays uh, where you could have instead gone, picked up a couple of those little swatches, those little cards, brought them home, uh, you know, held them up to various parts of the wall, tested them in, in different lighting, tested them against the, the flooring, make sure that everything looks good, call your friends over, what do you think of this? Uh, so it, it's very similar um, in, in the construction analogy, uh, yeah. the, the paint, the design is that um, can be at least the UI aspect of it is that layer of polish that makes it look really nice. So really it's just about validating. Yeah, absolutely. Validating assumptions is everything in terms of UX UI. And I couldn't have summed up this conversation better. Carrie, thank you so much just for your time today, for the feedback you've provided, not only uh, in practical references to things like Apple's human interface guidelines and, and certainly things that designers can do to help avoid scope creep, but more than that, really just a philosophy and a framework for how to think about minimum viable product in order to approach conversations and meetings and the day-to-day -day decision making in a way that helps balance those voices that you referenced earlier. Well, it's been another episode of Five Minutes with Five Pack. Thank you for joining us today. I'll tell you, if you're a client, certainly know that Five Pack is here to help you in terms of creating your minimum viable product and developing what is your 1.0 solution, helping you balance those voices. And beyond that, really, we have end-to-end -end development experience here, all the way into the build, measure, learn feedback loop where you need help with usability testing and figuring out what 1.1 and 1.2 like look like, prototyping, all of those things. Uh, if that is on your product roadmap in the coming year, reach out to us. We would love to be a part of that experience and help you in any way we can. Thank you so much for joining us today, listeners. Carrie, it's great to have you and we'll see you back here next time. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Five Minutes with Five Pack. Our goal is to take the industry experience and expertise we have to be a guide that you can trust in an ever-evolving digital landscape. We invite you to share this episode if it's been a help to you and also subscribe on your preferred streaming platform. You can also learn more about Five Pack at fivepack.com. We'll see you back here next time.